0: Okay, guys, we are in lesson 12. We're going to look at Isaac now. We've, we're still going to talk a little bit about Abraham, but the focus shifts from Abraham and moves over to Isaac, his son, who is the child of the promise. And uh, so we're going to see several things here. Now, we're going to start off talking about Abraham and Sarah again, but this has implications for Isaac, and will have implications Later on. So in chapter 23, again, we're not going to read through these chapters because we don't have enough time. We're just going to kind of go through the uh, material uh, with you. So in verses 1 to 2, we see that Sarah dies. Okay? So Sarah lived to be 127 years old and she died. She lived to be 127 years old and she died. Now, when she died, remember, Abraham is 10 years older. So, when she died, he's 137 years old. Okay? Now, Abraham mourned and wept for Sarah. He mourned and wept for Sarah. And it's, it's his wife. And they've been together for so, so long. Now, here's the problem. Remember, where is Abraham originally from? Ur of Chaldees, Mesopotamia. Ur is over near where we, is in modern day Iraq, among along the Euphrates River, okay? So he then traveled with his family up to Haran. So he's, and then he would live for a few years in Haran, and then from there, God called him to go to Canaan. So he's a sojourner, a pilgrim, a stranger in the land. We would say, in our area, if you're not from here, you're a, what? An outsider. Right? If you're not born around here, like, I'm an outsider, I admit that. Okay? But, he's an outsider. And because of that, he's nomadic. Does he own any property? All he has is a promise. God says I've promised to give you all of this property. But he doesn't own any property. The property belongs to who? The Canaanites, the different peoples of the Canaanites. So but he has to bury his dead. Okay? He has to bury his dead. So he spoke with the sons of Heth about purchasing a property to bury his dead. Now, when you read this account, it's going to seem like really weird because when you read this account, he goes to the sons of Heth and he says to the sons of Heth, I, I need. A, I would like to buy this field so that I can bury my dead. And the sons of Heth said, oh, you don't need to buy it, just go ahead and take it. Now, for you and I in our culture, we'd be like, whoa, it's blue light special. You know, I can, I can take this wonderful. That's not how they operated back then. The fact of the matter is, is that's a cordial thing that they're saying, but the reality is, is that they're just not going to give you the property. So what follows is, is a negotiation according to their customs of the day. So when you read there, you're reading how they negotiated things, and so finally, He settles on a price and buys the property. And so after negotiating for the property, Abraham bought the property for 400 shekels of silver. 400 shekels of silver. Now, if you and I were to hop on an airplane today, let's say we were to hop on the Israeli airplane... And, of course, we had to go through all that security and stuff and get on that airplane and fly over to Palestine, fly over to Israel today. You can go to this field. It's there today. The cave is there. Now, you're not going to find a body in that cave. It's been 4,000-plus years. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the cave is recognized by the Jews, Christians, and Muslims as being the burial site of Sarah and Abraham and the patriarchs. Do you understand? So they bought this property. So here he is, a sojourner, an outsider, and the only thing he owns is a field with a cave to bury his dead. That's Abraham. Okay? That's Abraham. So, Abraham buried Sarah in the cave of the field that was deeded to him. So he buried her there. Now, Do you think that would have an impact on Isaac? Do you think that would, the death of a mom, yeah, not just, and and, and be honest with you, do you think she pampered that boy? I mean, she had him in her old age, you already seen she took out Ishmael for scoffing. So he probably was well taken care of by mom, right? Okay. So there's going to be an absence in his life. And we're going to see that coming to a little bit of a um, fruition here with what happens next. And that is they want to find a wife for Isaac. Okay. Now, it is so different in our culture. In our culture... We say things like, well, you maybe need to think about getting married. But that's it. Who's got the job of finding somebody to get married to? The fellow who needs, or the gal who needs to what? Get married. In their day, can I be honest with you? You had no choice about who you married. That's terrible, isn't it? At least we think it is. All marriages were arranged, and they were, I hate to say it, basically financial transactions. And still in cultures today, you have situations where you have to buy your bride. So I remember being in Africa and Kenya talking to a young guy there, and I was like, you don't have a girlfriend? You don't have a girl you want to get married to? Well, he says, oh, there's several I'm interested in. Well, why aren't you married yet? I don't have the money for the cows. You have to buy. The dowry had to be in a form of cows. So you had to have, you know, like, you want my daughter? 30 cows. Maybe not that many, but, I mean, maybe she was a good-looking, 30 cows. You know, I mean, that's the culture, Okay? That's the culture. But there's something more going on here. And it has to do with him being a child of the promise, and the promise is about who God would bring the Messiah through. Okay, And it has to do with not wanting to mingle with the Canaanites. So here's what I want you to see. Abraham calls his most trusted servant who's been with him probably the longest time. We're going to see this in chapter 24. Chapter 24 is basically the story of the marriage of Isaac. All right? So he gets his trusted servant and this is what he tells his servant. He says he did not Abraham did not want Isaac to take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites. He didn't want him to take a wife from the daughter of the canaanites now why do you think that is i already gave you one reason but probably that's not just in the mind of abraham as well but the promise is but why do you think he doesn't want to take a wife from the daughters of the canaanites yep yeah, they don't maybe they don't serve the true god but they serve idols okay that's good uh, Bruce, in fact, that kind of fits into what I was thinking as well. I'll tell you what I think in a moment, but I want to hear your ideas. What, what do you, th- why do you think he doesn't want him to marry from the daughters of the Canaanites? Mike. Lineage, okay, yeah. He wants to ensure the lineage there. Anybody else? There could be several reasons. One reason, if you remember, the prophecy that God, when he spoke to Abraham when he was in the dream and he saw the smoking pot in a fiery furnace, he said, you're going to go away down into Egypt, and at that time you're going to take the land from the Canaanites there because I think he mentions one particular group, the Amorites, because their sins have not been completed yet. Do you understand what I'm saying? He knows that the people of Canaan are going to be what? Judged all right, judged. So he doesn't want them intermingling there. Here's another reason why we see this in the Old Testament, many different places. Guys tend to be influenced by their what? Wives. Oh, no, they're not. Yes, they are. I'll tell you the biggest one who was influenced is in Second Kings. A fellow by the name, excuse me, First Kings, a fellow by the name of... King Solomon starts out on a good path, serving the Lord, right? What happens to King Solomon? Why does he all of a sudden start going off worshiping other gods? Why? His wives, because he married pagan wives, which he was commanded not to do. The kings were commanded not to do that. So Abraham is thinking about his son's well-being. Do you understand? So he tells his servant, don't choose from the daughters of the Canaanites. He had his oldest servant swear that he would get a wife from Abraham's family in Haran, back up in Syria. Now they're down in Canaan. Now you just can't hop on a bus or a train or take a flight to get there. That's talking about taking a journey up there. So he's telling his servant, I want you to go back to my family and take a bride for my son from my family. Okay? Now, we would never think of doing that today because of the close relations thing and you you don't marry your cousin. Okay? But back then, they did do that. So, however, he did not want Isaac to go to his family in Haran because of the Lord's promise. Now, here's the other stipulation. I want you to go get a bride for him, but don't take him there. Don't take him there. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think don't take him there? Because he said it's because of the promise. He might want to stay there. That's exactly right. Plus, you're also going to see there is family pressure for them to stay there. We're going to see this with the servant. Why? Well, you can have my daughter, but don't take her far away. Did you know what I'm saying? You can have my daughter, but don't take her far away. So, however, he did not want Isaac to go to his family in Haran because of the Lord's promise. So the Lord prayed as he goes on this journey. I mean, think about this. This is, how radical is this? Hey, Let's say Sam works for me. Sam, I need to find a, uh, a bride for Hudson. But I don't want you to break, get them from anybody around here in Kerwinsville. In fact, I want you to go back to my family, where my family's from. I want you to take a flight to Germany and, and uh, go back to Berlin, where my family's from, and find a gal there in Berlin. Now, Berlin's the capital of Germany, okay? And Sam's like, okay, I swear... Now, okay, so he takes the flight over. He gets there. Like, where does he begin? Where do you begin to look for a gal? Do you, you know what I'm saying? Where do you begin? He begins in prayer. He begins in prayer because he obviously worships the same God that his master worships. Okay, okay. So the servant prayed and asked the Lord specifically for a wife for Isaac. And when I'm saying specifically, if you read the text, he's asking downright to if she acts this way. If she acts this way, if she gives me water. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, that's downright specific prayer. So let me just stop for a moment. How are you praying lately? about whatever situation you need God to do something in. Is it one of those, bless me, God, take care of my problem, or are you asking him to do specific things? Did you understand what I'm saying? There is a sense in which we need to pray specifically, right? This guy prayed specifically. Now, the servant approached Rebecca, so he's there. I mean, think about it. He's obviously in a caravan with camels, So there's other servants there with him. He's the head servant. They show up to the watering well and he approaches Rebecca for water and she responds as he had asked the Lord. So this gal responds in the way that he had been praying for the lady to respond. So he's like, okay, this is her. This is her. So the the servant identified himself as Abraham's servant and asked to be led to her household. In the meantime, he like gives her a nose ring and some other jewelry and stuff. Do Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's like, whoa! He's like lavishing her. Okay, so she goes back to her family. Now, being invited in, the servant told the news of Abraham and his purpose and coming. So he's met by Laban. Laban, you'll hear about him a little bit later on, is Rebecca's brother. And he got a look at the gold, and he's like, yeah, come on in, you know what I'm saying? And he finds out, hey, you're Uncle Abraham's, you know, servant, all right? So... The servant also spoke of his prayer to the Lord and Rebecca's response. So he's telling him everything that's going on here, where the situation is, what's happening here. So Rebecca's brother consented to the marriage and the servant gave gifts to them all. Now, this seems weird to us because, well, where's her mom and dad? What do you mean the brother get consented to the marriage? Shouldn't her dad be the one that consents to the marriage? I mean, isn't that what we do in our culture? If you want to marry somebody, you go to their dad and ask for permission to marry their daughter, right? Isn't that what we do? Not in their culture. In their culture, and I made a, I think I gave you a note there, the oldest son had the responsibility of marrying off the daughters. He had the responsibility. So like if you think in my household, Maddie, that would be Foster's responsibility to marry off Maddie. Now she probably would not like that. Do you know what I'm saying? She probably wouldn't like that at all. But in that culture, that was the way it was done. So Laban, her brother, consents to the marriage. And the servant gave gifts to all of them. Now remember... Is Abraham poor at this point? No, he's pretty wealthy. So I'm, I'm guessing the caravan was bringing stuff. I mean, of course, what they needed for the trip, but bringing stuff, gold, fine stuff. And he lavishes the family. So he's paying a what? Dowry. Instead of paying in cows, he's paying in what? Gold. Okay. He's paying in gold. Now, the family sought to delay the departure of Rebecca, but she consented to go. Now, this is typical here. You're going to see this many times. You're going to see it actually again where, okay, the business is done. The next morning, of course, you would have festivities that night. The next morning, you're ready to go, and the family says, oh, you know what? Why don't you delay just a little bit? And they would delay you if you let them forever but the servant is like, no, you need to let me go. I have to get back to my master. And the family says, well, what does she say? And she says, I'll go, Rebecca. Now, you got to hand it to her. She's never seen the guy. Plus, she's got to take a how many days' journey on a camel? I mean, we're not talking... You know, we're not talking riding in a nice truck. We're talking on a camel, you know, on a camel to get there, okay? So they're allowed to go. She consents to go. Now, Isaac was meditating or praying in the field when he saw the camels coming. Now, this is an interesting thing to me because I... I, I, this passage has always stuck out to me because at this point, is there any written word of God written at this point? No. No, there's, it's all oral. But it says very clearly that he was meditating or praying. So do you think Isaac has a relationship with God? Oh, well, you better believe it, he does. He witnessed God speaking to his dad right when his dad's ready to kill him. Do you remember? So he's out in a field meditating, praying when he sees the camels coming. So he took Rebecca as his wife. Now this is interesting. Back then the ceremony wasn't the kind of ceremony we have now. You just took her to your tent. Do you understand? So he took Rebecca as his wife, took her to a tent, and the text says, and was comforted concerning his mother's death. He was comforted by marriage concerning his mother's death. Now, we have a joke in our culture that when you get married, you trade your mom for your wife. Women hate that, I think, but it's almost kind of true, right? Guys kind of rely on their wives, right? Isn't that true? There is a sense of that. Now, let's go on now. We're going to talk about the death of Abraham. Well, you said Abraham's already dead. Well, the writer wants to specifically record some things about Abraham when he records his death. And this is where we're going to end up. After Sarah dies, now remember, he's 137 years old. Abram took a wife and she bore him six sons. Holy cow! Holy cow! 137 years old. He took a wife, and she bore him six sons. Wow! And that's not like the last week. I mean, this is over a period of time, okay? He gave all that he had to Isaac. So Isaac is the child of the promise. Isaac is the heir. Isaac would receive it all, and he sent away the other sons with gifts. So here's what he ends up doing. This is what they do in their culture. You know, you give the money to your firstborn. Well, you say the firstborn's Ishmael, but Ishmael is a child of the bond servant. The child of the legitimate wife was Isaac. He would get it all. And so what happens now? He's got these six other sons. They might end up being what? competitors. Threats to Isaac, right? So what does Abraham do? He gives them all gifts, and we're not talking 20 bucks here. He probably gave them a a significant portion of something, and then he sends them away out of the area from where Isaac is, and you never hear of them again. Their names are mentioned here, but you never hear of them again. And Abraham lives to be a hundred and seventy five years old. A hundred and seventy five years old. Isn't that amazing? He lived another thirty thirty eight years after she died. Another thirty eight years. And he died at one hundred and seventy five. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, and he died in peace. The scripture very much says he died in peace. So he peacefully died, not because of tragedy, not because of war. He died in peace. So Isaac and Ishmael buried their father in the cave of the field that he had purchased. So I think it's significant. Ishmael comes back and helps bury dad. Okay? Okay helps bury dad.